I'm living in a retirement center. It's like a hotel, actually. But we're all wobbly there. <laughs> so I'm right at home. You know, no one knows the exact day that our Lord was born in Bethlehem. For sure. But yet, Christmas has a great meaning to me. And I want to use an experience that I've told you before a couple of times. I usually hesitate to do that, but I felt prompted by the Lord to just add this to my message. The message is a new one I haven't preached on before, but this experience might be a help to some here. I was brought up in a Jewish home where I didn't know anything about Yeshua. But even as a child, my mother allowed us to go to a Messianic assembly called Beth Shalom in Brooklyn, New York. Because they had programs for children. They had special trips. You remember I've told you this. And on Christmas Day, we'd all get a present and a box of chocolates. And the Great Depression, that was quite a treat. But what I really remember is the love that the workers had for us. And Miss Susdorf, and I've told you about her, a dear lady, one day asked me, have you ever prayed in the name of Jesus? I said, no. She said, if you pray in the name of Jesus, God will answer your prayers. I forgot that. We moved away from the, uh, from the a church, a Messianic Assembly, the other side of Brooklyn. I was 12 years old on Christmas Day. And my father could not get out of bed. He had pains down his left arm and his chest. The doctor came in and said, Mrs. Runge, I'm sorry to tell you this, but he's had a massive heart attack. And uh, he's not going to make it through the day. Make him as comfortable as you can. And I thought about that on Christmas Day because I heard about Yeshua ben Elohim being born uh, in Bethlehem, and especially during the Christmas season. And uh, if I prayed in the name of Yeshua, God would answer my prayer. So for the first time in my mind, God knows what we're thinking. In my mind, I said, oh God, I can't understand. I was 12. Why my father would be so sick on the birthday of your son. So I caught something from the missionaries. And I said, but if you heal him, I'll give you my life, which I wanted to do anyway. I went back home, and my father was sitting at the lunch table, and he was doing well, in fact, lived for a number of years after that. Who is this Messiah that if you pray in his name, God will... Hear your prayer and answer it. This great Messiah. And you know, uh, the meaning about Christmas is the incarnation of God's Son who came to save us from our sins and to transform us into our likeness. Now I want to get into the new message. I've never preached on this text before. I don't know why 
It's a very significant passage of scripture. It's found in Philippians 2, 5 to 12. And it reveals something about this Messiah that is so incredible and so wonderful. And what God is intending to do through him in making us more like him. Let me read it to you. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, in the essence of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as men, and being uh, as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Yeshua, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth and every tongue should confess that he, Yeshua HaMashiach, is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So our message encourages us to cooperate with God and that the purpose is to make us like him, to transform us from the inside from our own mind. I have three points. The first point, Christ's love for us was more important to him than his rightful deity status. Think of that. His love for us was more important than holding on to who he was eternally, the word of God. Second point, the eternal son of God willingly gave up his unlimited wealth to make us truly rich. He had the ability, he had the uh, infinite wealth of the universes. He gave it up for us. He embraced our poverty, in fact, that he might make us rich. Third point, Christ's love for us was more important to him than his life. He loved us so much that it was more important that he would suffer the terrible death of the cross. I, I can't imagine the humiliation, the pain, the anguish, the embarrassment of death on crucifixion. What an amazing thing. Couldn't God have selected something easier to die in his sleep? But no. This had to be, as we shall see. So first, Christ's love for us was more important to him than his rightful status of deity. Look at verse 6 with me. Who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. This is an astounding statement that he was equal with God. So in in eternity past, In fact, let me give you an Old Testament uh, verification of this point. In Isaiah 9, 6, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, 
and his name shall be called El Gabor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, Aviad. So this was not an uh, un-Jewish concept that the Messiah was to be deity. The Son of God had the highest status possible. He was considered the Word of God and he took upon himself our flesh for a good reason. In fact, uh, Augustus of the 4th century understood what he gave up to become one of us. He wrote a profound theological poem. Listen. Maker of the sun, he is made under the sun. In the father he remains. From his mother he goes forth. Creator of heaven and earth, he was born on earth under heaven, unspeakably wise. Filling the world, he lies in a manger where animals ate their grain. Filling the world, he lies in a manger. Ruler of the stars, he nurses at his mother's bosom. He is both great in the nature of God and small in the form of a servant. Now he became one of us, the Son of God, became the Son of Man, that we could become the children of God. That's why he came. Let this mind be in you, our text says, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. He became one with us. Listen to the Messianic prophecy of Isaiah seven fourteen. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The Hebrew word for sign is a miracle sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, meaning God with us. This was the prophecy of Isaiah. It was a miracle sign, as we see. In fact, it's an important truth. The virgin birth is an important truth. You know, the, uh, the argument against this is the word Ha'alma was really for a young woman, not necessarily for a virgin. But 200 years before the birth of Jesus, 70 Hebrew scholars went from Jerusalem to Alexandria, and they were going to translate the Hebrew Bible into Greek because so many Jews spoke Greek. Now, they were Hebrew scholars. They knew Hebrew. This was 200 years before the birth of Jesus. And when they looked at Ha'alma, they translated in the virgin. They knew Hebrew. Then you have Matthew and Luke, Palestinian Jewish men who knew Hebrew in the first century. And they also quoted this as the virgin. And it, so I believe with all my heart that God did this miraculous work of the virgin birth. And it's important. 
in Ravi Zacharias in questions I would like to ask God writes, I asked Larry King a particular question. If you could select any one person across all of history to interview, who would it be? Mr. King answered was that he would like to interview Jesus Christ. And what would you like to ask him? King replied, I would like to ask him if he was indeed virgin born. The answer to that question would define history for me. And he was not being facetious. Now, if you believe in God who created the worlds with but a word, let it be and it happened, certainly the virgin birth would be no complicated problem for God. Remember that God, when he told Sarah, our ancestor, that she would bear a child in her old age after the change of life, she laughed. But the question was, is there anything too hard for God? So I believe with all my heart that God provided this as a special miracle for his son. Now the point of our scripture is that we should cooperate with God's spirit who is working within us to create a Christ-like mind that we would be concerned for the welfare of others more than for status. You know, people do seek for status. But in Jesus, there was no pride of life. Can you imagine this? And Jesus said, he that has seen me has seen the Father also. So if you want to know what God is like, it may amaze you that God is a humble God. God is a humble God, uh, even as Yeshua was humble. He reflected the nature of God. And God is working in us to do this, to take from our life this pride of life. Listen to Romans 12, verse 2 and 3. And do not be conformed to this world. Now, the definition of the world is that it consists of the lusts of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, not to be conformed to this. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You want to have a mind that would understand the will of God. And, and it says that we are to submit to the renewing of our mind, to cooperate and only God can change us from within. Listen to the Jewish prophet in Ezekiel 36, 26. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. Our Lord came to transform us. See, we all have the flesh. We're all born with Adamic nature. And that nature has, this, has the uh, pride of life. We want to be proud. We're, by nature, we're proud. But he gives us a new heart to love him, a new mind in which he writes his righteous laws on our mind. You know, it's amazing to see the transformation of someone who accepts Jesus as a Savior. Uh, right away, there's a total transformation, not complete, progressive, 
one day we will be totally transformed so that the Son of God so loved us that his status was not important to him. He could have said, no, I'm not going to go. He could have said to God, no, the Father, I have this status, the worship of angels. I'm not going to give that up. And it would have been over before it began. Secondly, the eternal Son of God willingly gave up his unlimited wealth to make us truly rich. Philippians 2.8 Taking the form of a bondservant, one who knew the service of angels, became a bondservant for us. He said, I've not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And coming in the likeness of men, the infinite becoming finite in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. He decided that when he would come, he would not be born in a wealthy, influential family. He was born in a poor family. And instead of a palace, he was born in a stable. You see, the Lord did not have in his nature the pride of life, and he did not have the lust of the eyes. In the best-selling book, The Jesus I Never Knew, Philip Yancey contrasted the humility that Jesus had in his coming to the planet and the impressive image associated with world leaders today. I think you remember when Queen Elizabeth II came to the United States and visited Canada. Reporters were delighted in spelling out the logistics involved. Her 4,000 pounds of luggage included two outfits for every occasion, a mourning outfit in case someone died, 40 pints of plasma, white kid leather toilet seat covers. She brought along her own hairdresser, two valets, and a host of other attendants. A brief visit cost $20 million just to come with all her uh, protection and all of her equipment for a short period of time. Look at the contrast. God's son came to earth, born in an animal shelter, with no attendants present, and nowhere to lay his head but a manger. What a difference. And yet, this one who came was so significant and so important and not appreciated. In fact, the prophecy tells us in Isaiah 53, is despised and rejected a man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He came to be a bond servant. Now, I want to tell you the amazing thing is 2 Corinthians 8-9 tells us why he came in poverty. Listen to this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, I mean, <laughs> he owned the heavens, 
the earth with his father and spirit. They had this incredible wealth that they could have done whatever they wanted. And yet for your sake, he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Christ came, embraced our poverty, our sufferings, our sorrows, our griefs, because of his love for us. Now, someone said that he was content with the stable when he was born so that we could have a mansion when we die. Listen to Romans 8, 16 and 17. This is an amazing promise. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. We are children of God. Those of you who have come to know the Lord, you've come to know the Spirit of God. See, this is not just an imaginary conversion to a religion. It's a uniting with God through Jesus. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and join heirs with Christ. I can't even begin to imagine what it is to become an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. There are spiritual treasures that are beyond our imagination. We think of going to heaven. We're not going as paupers, but we're going to be enriched with God's riches. Can you imagine the eternal treasures that await us? Listen to the advice of Yeshua in Matthew 6, verse 19 to 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What does he want? He wants our hearts. He wants our love. In fact, there's only two things he really requires of us, that we trust him and that we love him. So where our treasure is, that's where our heart will be. So we need to set our mind on things above. You know, as I turned 88, and I'm thinking, it's not going to be long before the Lord's going to say to me, time to come home. And I can't even begin to grasp how significant that is. But, I, but God has promised that we will be like Jesus. The third point is the Son of God's love for us was more important to him than his life. Verse 8, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. That crucifixion, I mean, why God chose that? Where the enemy, through all his hatred against Jesus, where even while he was dying in his terrible suffering and torment, there were his enemies crying out to him, if you be the Son of God, the Messiah, come down from the cross and save yourself, and we will believe. But if he came down and saved himself, we would not have an opportunity to believe. 
You know, for most people in the world, love is not a part of their religious experience. Aristotle once said, it would be eccentric for anyone to claim that he loves Zeus or that Zeus loved a human being for that matter. But what God wants is a love relationship. Listen to Jeremiah 31.3. The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, yes, I loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. So the Christmas story is not about God seeing how nice we were coming down to spend time with sweet people. It's the story of God seeing twisted, hurty, sinful people and coming down to save them. What a wonderful story. Story about love came to save us from our sins. Martin Luther, in his table talk, said, if our greatest need had been for information, he would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been for money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been for pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness, so God sent us a savior. God sent us a savior. Now understand the situation when Adam and Eve had sinned. God said, there's one tree that you are not to eat of, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Trust me, you can eat all the other, from all the other trees, including the tree of life, but you're not to eat of that other tree. Adam and Eve failed the test of trust. And he said, the day that you eat that fruit, in dying you shall die. But then God did not put them to death. And you might wonder why. Well, when God created Adam and Eve, he created all the generations, potentially, of the human species. And God knew that if Adam and Eve had been put to death, you and I would not have been born. Generation after generation would have been unborn. So God created humanity in Adam and Eve. He created us. And, he, and that's why he waits, because he, know, he knew that in this generation there would be people like us who would believe. And for them, he, he developed a plan of salvation. Sin had to be punished by death, but that would have been a terrible thing. Now, there was only one way that a righteous God could save those who would believe of the unborn generations. And that was through an atonement. And there was only one person that was good enough and great enough to be the savior of the whole world. An angel would not have been great enough. He might be a good angel, but he wasn't great enough but for the Son of God to come and to die for the sins of the world. And that's why Isaiah said, he has been bruised for our iniquities. He has been wounded for our transgressions. And 
All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was great enough. He was infinite. He was good enough. Now he could have said, well, no. uh, Why would I want to give up all that I have in heaven to suffer for those people that most of them will not believe or accept? He didn't say that. Billy Graham said, God proved his love on the cross when Christ hung and bled and died. It was God saying to the world, I love you. Now in conclusion, we have the wonderful promise of ultimate victory for the Lord. Here is something which we quote quite often in Deuteronomy 6.5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. We're not born the first time with that capacity to love anyone or anything more than our love of ourselves. So this is not just a command, it's a promise. Let me read it to you again. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. It's more than a commandment. It is a promise that ultimately we will love God with perfect love, even as the Son loves the Father. That love process begins at salvation, but will be completed when we see him. And God's love will triumph over evil. Remember when Jesus was invited to dinner by a Pharisee by the name of Simon. When a woman entered her, the house, a woman with a bad reputation, and Jesus allowed her to touch him, the Pharisee thought within himself, if Jesus were a prophet, he would not allow the woman to touch him. He would know she's a sinner. Listen to his response to the Pharisee in Luke seven forty four forty eight. 48. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured expensive perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. When we realize that we are all sinners, when we realize how serious those sins are, and we realize God has forgiven us of all those sins, that we're forgiven. I can't go back and change some of the things I did or did not do that I should have done, but I can rest that I'm forgiven. I'm washed in the blood of the Lamb. When we are fully aware of this, when we are glorified with Christ, our hearts will be filled with love the love that God said we shall have, a perfect love to respond to God's perfect love for us. And that will respond in worship 
Listen to the text in verse 9. Therefore God also has highly exalted his son and given him a name which is above every name. That's why we pray in his name. I was invited to pray at a city council meeting a few years ago. They didn't want me to mention Jesus. I said, no, you got the wrong man because I only can go through Jesus a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Only that kind of love, appreciation for forgiveness, to have become the children of God, to become heirs of God and join heirs with Jesus Christ. We have no idea what this salvation is all about. We have very little concept of the riches of God granting to us. How can we help but love him? That's all he wants us is to love him. And if we love him, we'll worship him. And we'd be willing to give our life up for him. And instead of being covetous, we would want to serve others as Jesus was the bondservant of God for our benefit. He even, as a high priest, he even now listens to us. We pray in his name and the prayer goes immediately to the Lord Jesus. I have a prayer journal. I can't even begin to tell you the prayers that God has answered that I prayed in the name of Jesus. You see, this is not a theoretical religion to me. This is knowing God, loving God, being loved of God. And you know, I can get overwhelmed and I think, oh, I didn't do this right. I didn't do that right. I made that mistake. And I could get overwhelmed with that. But when I think it's all forgiven, Wouldn't you like that for your life? Well, all you have to do is accept Jesus as your Savior and your Lord. One short prayer is all that keeps you from heaven or will get you in there. Just a short prayer. I'm going to pray a prayer for you. And if you accept that as your prayer, then Jesus will accept you into his kingdom. Father, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, who had lived, was born of a virgin, lived without sin, who died on the cross for all my sins, was raised from the dead on the third day, ascended to heaven, is at the right hand of the Father, interceding on my behalf. I am bankrupt spiritually, I can't save myself, but I accept him as my Savior. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer and meant it, God will answer it with his blessing and his acceptance and in eternity. Lord, we thank you for your love to us. We have, we're inadequate to describe the greatness of your love the greatness of your person, 
But Lord, may everyone here know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. We pray in his name. Amen.